0: You're listening to Southside Baptist Church Podcast with our pastor, Dr. Jeff Parker. For more audio content, please refer to our website at ssbaptistchurch.com. We're looking at the subject of how to build a family or how to hold a family together in the storm. Because what happens a lot of times in our lives, when you and I are going through a storm... What the enemy is able to do is to cause a family to, to just to disintegrate. I mean, they break down. They begin to turn on each other. And that's what the enemy wants, and that's what God does not want. God wants you and I, when we're in those storms, to hang together. Now, I want you to understand something. This is my, this is my old Bible, and I want you to go ahead and stand in honor of God's Word. This is my old Bible. My parents gave me this in 1979. Uh, I don't use it much anymore. It's the King James, and, and I find that a lot of people have trouble understanding the King James, so I, I don't use it as much anymore. The last time I used this Bible was in the Mississippi Baptist Convention when I was asked to preach a convention sermon. And uh, some of those people said, uh, we need a word from God, and I took that very seriously. And uh, the day I went to preach the convention sermon, I grabbed this Bible up. It's covered in elephant skin, Uh, When I was in Zimbabwe, trekking all over Zimbabwe, I wore out about three or four covers. And so finally the Africans said, we'll put a cover on there, you'll never wear out. And they're right, it's never wore out. This Bible's been all over the world with me. When I preach a convention sermon, I remember picking it up out of my office when I was leaving, and I looked at it and I said, welcome, old friend. Uh, I love this Bible. This is, uh, uh, when I go into battle, when I go into a major battle, I take this Bible. I want you to everybody listen real closely. I brought this Bible with me today because I feel like I'm in a major battle. Okay? This message today in this series is very, very important. And that's why. When you see your pastor with this Bible, I don't know which one of my kids will get this Bible. I don't even know how to figure that out. But there are treasures in this Bible. And uh, it means a lot to me. So. Today I'm going to read out of the King James, but you go ahead. In fact, I'm going to ask our sound people to go ahead with the NIV. And uh, if you have your Bibles, I want you to take them and turn to Job chapter 2. Our senior adults will love today, me out of the King James. But Job chapter 2, beginning at verse 1, And again there was another day when the sons of God came to present themselves before the Lord. And Satan came also among them to present himself before the Lord. Job chapter 2 verse 2, And the Lord said unto Satan, From where comest thou? And Satan answered the Lord and said, Thou from going to and fro in the earth and from walking up and down in it. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. He is a perfect and upright man, a man who fears God and he shuns evil. And still he holdeth fast his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him without a cause. And Satan answered the Lord and said, Skin for skin, yea, all that a man has will he give for his life. But put forth thine hand, touch his bone and his flesh, and he will curse you to your face. And the Lord said to Satan, Behold, he's in thine hand, but save his life. Remember, the Lord gives and the Lord takes away. So went Satan forth from the presence of the Lord. He smote Job with sores and boils from the soles of his feet to the crown of his head. He took a potsherd, that means a piece of pottery, with which to scrape himself, and he sat down among the ashes. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity? Curse God and die. But he said unto her, Thou speakest as one of the foolish women speaketh. What? Shall we receive good at the hand of God and shall we not receive evil? In all this Job did not sin with his lips. Let's pray together. Our Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank You so much that You love us and that You care about us. And Father, we pray right now through the power of Your Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, as we've already felt it in our worship, we pray, dear Lord, that the power of Your Holy Spirit would speak very clearly today. Lord, we ask You to grip each heart in this room. And dear Lord, to do what only You can do. And that is to give us a message from you today, dear Lord. This is not from man. We don't need a word from me. We don't need a word from man. We need a word from God. We need to understand how, to learn we, how we can understand and learn how to sing even when we are in a storm. And so, Lord, we pray, speak to our hearts today. May we be attentive. And we'll give you the glory. And, Lord, I ask you to cleanse me, forgive me. Let me be that vessel that you can use today. And my prayer is for everyone to be clean and pure and holy before you. Hearts that are ready to receive. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Last week we looked at the subject from riches to rags, how to survive when blessings are being removed. In other words, how do we survive when God gives us all, a lot of blessings, but then God begins to take some of them away? Okay. In other words, we watch Job as he goes, and I want everybody to listen. Kids, settle down. Okay, mom and dad, keep them seated. Young people, stay seated. Uh, You ought to be done went to the bathroom by now, and you ought to be settled. And all God's people said, amen. Amen. Okay, I'm not being mean, I'm just being honest. But anyway, how do you go from from riches to to rags. You know, we always think about rags to riches, but what about, wait a minute, what about in the life of a believer when God takes those blessings away? And we looked at this last week and we said that we needed to understand that God is doing something in the storms. Okay? So when you and I are in the storms of life, we need to remember this, that God has an objective. Now last week, uh, it was a powerful message and a powerful service. I can tell you this much, I got calls. I had people that called and were crying when they were talking to me, had just got through listening to the message. Uh, Sally, whose two children were lost in that accident accident that I told you about last week, Sally sent me an email and just said, Brother Jeff, she just said, I want you to know something. It challenges me, even as I listen to the message, to be a better person. So God used last week, and I believe God will use this week, Now, what is God doing when you and I are in difficult times in in our lives? Because I believe that if we could understand what God is about, what God is doing in the storms, it might make a difference in how we see a storm or a difficulty or suffering that comes in our life. Now, write this down. This is critical. When you and I are in a storm, first of all, relationships can break down in communication. Okay? When you and I are in a storm... When we're in a difficulty in our lives, the truth of the matter is, now listen very close. this is over 30 years of counseling. Relationships have a tendency to break down in communication. In other words, hear me, the enemy seeks to destroy relationships in the storm. He'll tear down relationships. Let me give you an example. The number one reason for divorce is finances. Okay. People get into a financial, a couple, a married couple, they get into a difficult time in their finances, and you know what they're going to do? It's not long before they turn on each other, and as Paul said, they begin to devour one another. Your enemy seeks to destroy relationships when you're in a storm. And if you look at this life, if you look at the life of Job, every relationship in Job's life is damaged ...by this storm that Satan Satan has put him in. Satan's delight is to sever relationships in the storms of life. Let me give you an example. Do you remember, some of you may remember... ...there was a scene back a long time ago... ...our drama team did a scene where they had a setting, a table setting, with chairs and table and had it all sitting here. And they were all seated at the table and they're talking, having a nice meal, a pleasant conversation. And all of a sudden, if you remember, the enemy begins to move around this family, whispering in the ear, speaking here. And before long, you see the mom and dad begin to argue. Then the children begin to argue. And all of a sudden, this family begins to break down and you realize it was a beautiful picture. It was a drama of what the enemy wants to to do to a family. Now, every one of us need to understand this. Satan is attacking Job. Satan is trying to destroy the relationships. Now, let me show you real quickly. Number one, Satan turns Job against God, or tries to. In chapter 1, verse 11, look at that. Look at verse chapter 1, verse 11 in Job. Satan says to God, but put forth thine hand now, touch all that he has, and he will curse you. He's talking to God about Job. He's saying, listen, Job will curse you to your face. Now look at chapter 2, verse 4. And Satan answered the Lord and said, skin for skin, yea, all that a man hath he'll give for his life, but put forth your hand, touch his bone and his flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. You see, Satan wanted to break down relationships. And the first relationship is turning Job against God. He says to God, he says, listen, if you will let me have him, if you'll put him in a storm and put it deep enough and severe enough, he will curse you, Job will curse you to your face but he's wanting also to turn Job against God, to cause Job to resent God, to be filled with frustration and anger. I talked to a man this week, a very, very prominent man, a man who held several positions, but whose life has come tragically down. I told this man, I began to talk to him, and finally, in another state, this is a family that listens on the internet, in another state... He said, Brother Jeff, he said, I don't want to pray. I don't want to talk to God right now. I'm disappointed with God. You know what I said to him? I said, God understands. You see, he wanted to turn, Satan wanted to turn Job against God. And this is what he wants to do in your life and in my life. If you get into a storm, a difficulty, financial, family, parenting, Uh, whatever it may be, your job, whatever it is, Satan has an objective and that is to get you to the point that you become angry and frustrated with God. and You say, God, I'm not going to speak to you right now. I'm upset with you. I'm disappointed with you. And Satan goes, mission accomplished. Because when he gets you and I to the point that we do not want to pray, he has effectively done what he set out to do. In that storm. He tries to turn Job against God. He tries, listen, secondly, to turn God against Job. In chapter 1 verse 9, he said, said, Then Satan answered the Lord and said, Does Job fear God for nothing? In verse 10, Hast thou made a hedge about him and about his house and all that he has on every side? you bless blessed the work of his hands. His substance is increased in the land. In chapter 2, verse 4, Satan answers skin for skin. All that he has, he'll give for his life. Do you know what Satan is trying to do? He's trying to break down the relationship of God with Job. What he's saying to God is this. He's saying, God... Job is not genuine, he's not real, he's a fraud, he's a fake. He is conniving and manipulating, listen, you, God, to bless him. But if you take those away, relationship's over. Now, stay with me here. What Satan is trying to do is turn God against Job. He's saying to God, Job is using you for what he can get out of you. Can I ask you something today? How many of you here today, your relationship with God is based on whether God comes through and does things for you or not? That's not love, that's rape. And every girl in this room who's stupid enough to believe it, a guy will use you and use you and use you and use you. and use you. It cares nothing about you. There are some guys today, women are just a joke, they're a tool, there's something to be used and nothing more. And this is what God, this is what Satan was saying to God. Job is simply using you for what he can get out of you. Now take a right and go all the way to the last book of the Bible. I want you to see this. Go over to Revelation chapter 12, verse 10, because some of you, you probably don't believe this. Some of you think, well, you know, I wonder what's going on up in heaven right now. Oh, they're probably up there sipping a virgin pina colada and fanning with palm leaves. Nothing's going on up there of any account. Maybe singing some sweet hymns till we all get up there. Let me read to you Revelation chapter 12. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. Now look at this. Revelation chapter 12, verse 10. This is John the Beloved in heaven. He said, And I heard a loud voice saying in heaven, Now is come salvation and strength. This is a pivotal chapter in the book of Revelation. Now is come salvation and strength in the kingdom of our God. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done. And the power of His Christ For, watch this, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down, who accused them. Who's them? It is you and I. It is Job. Who accused them before who? Before our God. How often? Day and night. You see, you and I have an enemy. And Satan not only seeks to turn Job against God, Satan seeks to turn God against Job. He is the accuser of the brethren. He's the father of lies. Now, I want you to see this because this is critical. Look at chapter 2, verse 3 in Job. Going back to Job, take a left. There is a theological nugget here that every one of us need to see. Okay? Now, dog-ear this page, double dog-ear it. Fold it down in your Bible, Job chapter 2, verse 3. And the Lord said to Satan, Hast thou considered my servant Job? There is none like him on the earth. Now watch this. He is a perfect and upright man, one that fears God and shuns evil. Okay, now stay with me here. One that fears God... And shuns evil, and he still holds fast to his integrity, although thou movest me against him to destroy him. Now, I want you to see this. In the NIV, it says, You incited, God is speaking to Satan. He says to Satan, You incited me against Job to ruin him. Now, look this way. In the NIV, it says, Without a cause. Everybody, stay with me here. This is critical. What God, there is deep theology here. Reggie and I were talking about this later. I shared this Wednesday night. What God says to Satan, He says, Satan, you incited me, in the Hebrew it says, you moved me to take action against Job. Now, stay with me here without a reason. Now, everyone think for a moment. Be very, very careful in how you live. Because to whom the Lord loves, He chastens. And let me tell you something. The worst thing you and I can do is give God a reason to be moved to bring harm into our lives. Job is in the hand of the devil. And you say, well, I don't believe that. Listen. I don't want to take a lot of time here, but I want, you to, I want you to take your Bible and take a right and go to 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. Because some of you in this room, you are living... You are, Listen to me. Everyone stop. Everyone stop and look this way. Don't, don't turn yet. Some of you in this room are living very dangerously. Okay, now look at 1 Corinthians 5.5. 5. In 1 Corinthians chapter five verse five, watch what, watch what Paul said to the church at Corinth. Now, real quickly, the background of this is, is that a man in the church at Corinth is involved with his stepmother. He is called up in a sexual relationship with his stepmother. So in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians, Paul is addressing this, and he says to the church at Corinth and those early believers, he said, listen, this is not good. He said, you're taking pride in this, but this is not good. This is not right. You shouldn't do this. Now look at verse 5 of 1 Corinthians. He says, this is what he tells the church to do. He says, deliver such a one unto who? Satan, for the destruction of the flesh that the Spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord Jesus. Okay, everyone look this way. Paul is talking about a believer. He's talking about a Christian. He says to the church at Corinth, listen, this man is living in habitual, willful disobedience. He's flagrantly living it out publicly. Paul said, as a body of believers, turn him over to the enemy. That is, put him in the hands of Satan so that his flesh will be destroyed and his spirit will be saved. What what God is saying in Job chapter 2 verse 3, God is saying to Satan, you tried to move me to take action against Job with no reason. My friend, don't give God a reason to do it. I think it's the worst thing in the world. So here we have relationships breaking down. We have uh, Satan trying to turn Job against God. We have Satan trying to turn God against Job. And then finally, we have Satan trying to turn Job and his wife against each other, and vice versa. Look at chapter 2, verse 9. Then said his wife unto him, that is to Job, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? Now, now everyone stay with me here, because in a storm, what the enemy's trying to do, he's trying to destroy you, and what he'll do is try to separate you and break up every relationship that you're involved in. This is the reason that people who get caught up with the enemy begin to pull away from the church. They don't want to be in the church. Because they've got the enemy saying, listen, you don't need to listen to those people. Don't listen to that crazy nut preacher. You don't need to go to Sunday school. And and the enemy starts separating you from every godly good influence and he breaks down every relationship. But hear me, husband and wife, mom and dad, he will attack that relationship more than any other because it is a picture, it is a picture of the New Testament church, of Christ and his bride, the church. He wants to break it down. Mom and dad, you need to understand. Dad, listen, stop, drop, and pray. You've got an enemy that is attacking like he's never attacked before. Your wife can't argue with you if you're on your knees. Some of you've got children that are living in rebellion. Stop, drop, and pray. Go in there, get on your knees by that bed. I've told my kids a lot of times, you may live in rebellion and disobedience to God, but you'll bury me in the process. Because I'd just soon be dead. That's how serious it is, this spiritual thing in the lives of raising our children. Some of you moms and dads are living in habitual, willful disobedience. And you model that before your children in this open window that you have, and one day it'll be too late. I rode by a soccer field a moment ago out in Brandon, and they were full of people at 8 o'clock in the morning, freezing temperatures. I laid down on the horn as I went by, because I wanted to stop and stand out there on I-20 and say, you're making a mistake in those young lives. Let the soccer coach come when their marriages are falling apart, when their finances are messed up, when their lives are in ruin." Because I've never seen nobody on their deathbed ever call one coach. Unless it was a coach like Doug back there. You see, Satan wants to tear down those relationships. He wanted to turn Job against God. He wanted to turn God against Job. He will do whatever he can. And my friend, there's nothing that he loves more than to destroy a marriage in a storm. You know that today there's so much unfaithfulness, so much flirting and running around, disregard for marriage and marriage vows, and it just just kills me. Sir, I want to say to you, men, I want to say to you, if you're thinking about running around, if you enjoy flirting... If you enjoy the attention of other women, I want to say to you, or you are perceived by women as being a flirt? Let me ask you something, sir. Are you perceived by women as being a flirt? Stop it and stop it now. It's not worth it. You know, I thought to myself, well, am I the only one that's preaching this? I was listening to Chip Henderson. It's an excellent series. You need to listen to it. He's preaching a series on the, on the book of Samson. He just was consumed this past Sunday with talking about exactly what I'm warning you about right now. Because so many marriages are being threatened. Ladies, let me say this. If you're thinking about running around, if you're flirting, if you enjoy the attention of other men, shame on you. You are, listen, ladies, when you do that, you lose the respect of godly men. And it's not worth it. You know, I want to say to young parents, some of these young couples here, men, I want to say to you, be the husband to your wife that you want your daughter to have. Ladies, I want to say to you, be the wife that you want your son one day to have. You know, Bob Smith said this. He said, you know, these blind eyes see a lot. I want you to know something. 30 plus years of counseling and being a pastor, these preacher eyes see a lot. And I'm not a hireling. I'm a shepherd. And I see the enemy. And he's winning battles in so many lives today. Through the internet, through pornography, through the movies, through whatever. And some of you in this room are playing with fire right now. I want to say to young men, men, listen to me. In fact, let's just real quickly. I want you to look at Psalm 1, young men. Men, I want you to look at this. I want you to see this. This is your pastor pleading with you dads. I want you to see this. In Psalm chapter 1, verse 1, look at this. I've memorized it, but it's it's one great to memorize. It says, Blessed is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly. He doesn't. He nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the what? Men, what is it? It's in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate both day and night. And he's like a tree that is planted by living waters. Men, listen, look this way. Your counsel, and when you are in a storm, it's more critical than ever. Your counsel needs to be nothing but the Word of God. You need to be careful. Blessed is the man, happy is the man who walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of the sinner, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in that law doth he meditate both day and night. Now ladies, you go to the end of Proverbs. Go to Proverbs chapter 31. Because I want, I want, ladies, I want you to see something. And I believe God gave me this, and I don't know why, I don't know why, but I believe God is speaking today to some people in this room who your life is not what it ought to be. In Proverbs 31, beginning at verse 10, ladies, listen, underline it, fold it down, ladies. In Proverbs 31, verse 10, it says, Who can find a virtuous woman? For her price is far above rubies. Ladies, look at this, circle it. The heart of her husband doth trust her, doth trust in her, doth safely trust in her, so that he shall have no need of spoil. She will do him good and not evil all the days of her life. Ladies, listen. This is critical. Be loyal in your thoughts, in your attitudes, in your actions in every way. Men ought to pick up from you, ladies, that you are a one-man woman and that you are not involved with no other man, and you won't give him no attention. You are consumed with the man God's put in your life, and you don't have time for nobody else. And in verse 25, ladies, Proverbs 31, look at verse 25. Strength and what are her what? Strength and what are her clothing? Honor. Let's say it together, lady. Honors. Honor. Ladies, strength and honor are her clothing. And she shall rejoice in time to come. In verse 30, look at this. Favor is deceitful, beauty is vain. Beauty fades. But a woman who fears the Lord, why does she fear the Lord? She fears the Lord because she's going to do right and live right. Because she loves Him. I think this is critical. You know, sometimes women will say to me, say, Brother Jeff, he just doesn't love me. Or a man will be caught up in a little pornography. Ladies, can I say something? If you are a flirt, if you act around men and men begin to pick up on something, do you know what the man that loves you, do you know what you're doing to him? You're reaching in and you're ripping his heart out. You're grieving his heart. And i tell you why he'll get involved in pornography and other things. Because what you're saying to him is this, don't risk your love on me. You see, counsel is critical. And so here you have Job. In the book of Job, you have Satan who is so effectively breaking down every single relationship, and he will in yours. A storm, husband and wives, a storm is a great time to fall in love. You want to make your enemy mad, you seek to restore those relationships while he's trying to tear them down. Quick, in a storm, watch this. Three things let me give you to do. When you're in a storm, when it comes to relationships, protect those relationships. You're vulnerable. When you're in a storm, when things are going wrong in your life, listen, you're vulnerable. Protect those relationships. Number two, practice those rituals. The disciplines of your faith. Don't quit reading your Bible. Don't quit praying. Don't quit going to church. Protect Those relationships, practice those rituals. And number three, pursue what's right. Don't grow weary in well-doing. You'll reap if we faint not. This is no time to throw in the towel. Relationships are vulnerable in a storm. Don't let the enemy have the headway here. Now real quickly, in a storm, relationships can become demonic in counsel. Look at verses 9 and 10 of chapter 2 in Job. Then said his wife unto him, dost thou still retain integrity? Curse God and die. Everyone think about this. The enemy, when you and I are in a storm, the enemy can, if we are not careful, use those closest to us to give us poor counsel. That can be a spouse, a husband, a wife. That can be parents. That can be in-laws, that can be siblings, that can be friends. Listen, that can be a pastor. The danger today is with little biblical knowledge, you and I can be duped by any number of counselors. Dr. Phil, Oprah, the latest guru, the book, the conference, the last book we read, the last conference we attended. Hear me. I I had somebody tell me this week, Uh, 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 A woman came down last Sunday in a church service during the invitation. Distraught. They counseled with her a little bit. On Monday she took her life. I've told you people are hurting. And we've got multitudes of amateur counselors out there who are bombing in their own relationships and yet giving counsel to others. Be careful about your counsel. Listen to Job's wife's counsel. Look at this in chapter one, verse eleven. But put forth thine hand. This is Satan. Put forth your hand. Touch all that he has, and he'll curse you to your face. Okay, do you see it? Chapter two, verse four. And Satan answered the Lord and said, "Skin for skin, all that a man has, he'll give for his life. But put forth your hand. Verse five. Touch his bone and flesh, and he'll curse you to your face. Uh, he'll curse you to your face. Now look at verse chapter two, verse nine. Then said his wife unto him, Dost thou still retain thine integrity, curse God, and die? Can I ask you something? In verse 9, whose voice is that? Whose? It's Satan's. You see, what she was saying was, number one, Job, don't hang on to your integrity anymore. What that word means in the Hebrew, it's purity, it's righteousness, it's goodness, even in the storm. You see, a lot of times people get in the storm, they say, well, you know, what the use, it doesn't make any difference anywhere anymore. The only difference between a Christian saying, what the use, and the world saying, what the hell, doesn't make a dime's worth of difference. The bottom line is, is that Satan convinces us, don't hold on to your purity, your righteousness, your goodness. Don't do right anymore because it doesn't work. Live it up. Curse God and die. So a girl climbs in the back seat. A guy climbs in the back seat of a car. And he affects his life for the rest of his life, or she affects her life for the rest of her life. A girl walks into an abortion clinic and ends a pregnancy, and she ultimately affects her life for the rest of her life. And one hit of crack, one hit of crack. Young people, one hit of crack, and you're gone. People have told me over and over again one hit of crack, and it just grabs you and catches you. Puts its claws you. you just can't let go. And that's the enemy. Don't hang on to your integrity. Just give up. Give in. Secondly, Job, don't hang on to your importance. Just die. Cease to exist. In your life, curse God. Let it be over with. You say, well, wait a minute. You mean to tell me that Job's wife was the voice of the enemy? I'm telling you that anybody can be the voice of the enemy. If you don't believe that, I don't have enough time to show you, but in Matthew chapter 16, verse 13 through 19, Jesus said, do you remember that? At Caesarea Philippi, He said to His disciples, said, Who do men say that I am? They begin to say, Jeremiah, Elijah, one of the other prophets. Jesus said, Well, who do you say that I am? Peter, boy. Peter looked about like old Dusty, big old guy. Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus said, Blessed art thou, Simon, son of Barjona. Flesh and blood's not revealed this, but my Father is in heaven. And Jesus said, And upon this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Then in the next passage, Jesus said, now, men, I'm getting ready to have to go to Jerusalem. I'm going to suffer and I'm going to die. You know what Peter said? Whoa, no way. I'm not going to let this happen. This will never be. You know what Jesus said to Peter, who had just made that declaration about the church? Get thee behind me, Satan. You're an offense to me. You see, you and I have to be careful the voices that we listen to. Now, real quickly, and I've got to close with it. In 1 John 4.1, write it down. Look at it later. You know what 1 John 4.1 says? It says, test the spirits. Well, what do I test those voices against? Whatever that counselor may be. I test it against the Word of God. Now, real quickly, when you walk away from a counselor, and we'll close with this. When do I walk away from the counsel of a friend, a pastor, a, a book... Uh, A guru on TV, whoever it is, when do I walk away? Number one, a counselor who does not back up their counsel with their lifestyle. A counselor who does not back up their counsel with a godly lifestyle. I'm going to tell you something Sheila, my wife, is probably one of the finest counselors you'll ever find on the earth. I've known her for 35 years. She will tell me so often, she will say this, I've heard her say it in conferences. I remember years ago, she was speaking at First Baptist. Brandon was on the ticket with uh, the governor's wife. But Sheila has said over and over again, I am a one-man woman. I don't have a roving eye, I'm not a flirt, I'm all class. And buddy, she is. She'll send a message to everywhere. I remember years ago, back when we were young in the ministry, had a deacon, they were going to do something for me. And the deacon told her, he said, well, why don't you and I just get together and we'll go eat? You know what Sheila said? I'm sitting on a gold mine. Why would I want to go to dinner with you? I've got it made. You see, a counselor who doesn't back up their counsel with a godly life, Get away from them. Number two, counselors who do not preface their counsel with prayer, stay away from them. Jim Cimbala said this on counseling. He said, I never begin a session without it. I want you to know something. I never counsel nobody without prayer. This is not you winging it or throwing it out there without bathing it in prayer. is a mistake. Number three, counselors who do not incorporate the Word of God, listen, stay away from them. You know that people you ought to hear out of a counselor, you know the Bible says, Number four, and I'm, I'm getting ready to close. number four, counselors who recognize their frailty and their sinful nature and, and their own selfishness. You need counselors that are real. They're honest. They say, "Look, I'm a human. I listen, I make mistakes." Galatians 6 1 says this, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a fault, ye which are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of meekness, considering thyself, lest thou also be tempted. The word of God is the litmus test for good counsel. Now let's stand. What I hate is feeling like I got to rush. Sheila says don't worry about it, but I do. Because see, you're you're average Americans, you're not tuned but for about 30 minutes. So I'm pushing it at 40. But I know this, your pastor came in here today believing that it was critical that I preach this message today. Because I think some of you, some of you are living a double life. And it's about to catch up with you. Okay? Chip Henderson last Sunday preached the message on Samson. He said Samson's problem was he was living a secret life that nobody knew. And I'm telling you this, the enemy is after you. And if you pride yourself in being a counselor, let me do something. Get you a big white hat and paint crosshairs across it. Because the enemy's going to aggressively go after you. Listen, if, if I fail, If I mess up, then I affect the lives of so many other people. So many are hanging in the balance. Listen, if I fail, if I compromise, if I even remotely am coming across to women in a way that would dishonor my marriage and dishonor my wife, then listen, I effectively am messing up not only my testimony, I am dealing a divisive divisive blow to my family, to my marriage, to my children, to my in-laws, to my grandchildren, to my congregation, in every congregation that I preach to. You have an enemy. And that enemy has bullseye on your head and he's after you. And he wants to destroy every relationship that you're involved in. He wants to attack your integrity and your credibility. And he wants to bring you down. Don't let him. Don't let him. I plead with you today, don't let him. If you're involved in in any flirtatious relationship, if you're doing anything that would dishonor Christ, I'm asking you today to stop it. If you're looking at anything and participating in anything, involved in anything, in no way. Young people, listen to me. If your parents are not comfortable with the relationship that you're in, get out of it. Mom and dad are not stick in the mud. Mom and dad are godly, good people for the most part. And even ungodly moms and dads want better for their children than they had. Young people, listen to your parents. Listen to your, your pastor. Listen to a man like Reggie. This man walks with God. I love this man and respect this man. Listen to him. Young people, listen to him. These people, listen, they are standing in the gap for you. Hear me, please hear me. When I was in the second grade, I nearly drowned because somebody was coaxing me and pulling me to do something that I knew I shouldn't be doing, and that was to swim when I didn't know how to swim. And to this day, I can remember it as clearly as if it, it happened this morning nearly drowning. Some of you parents, you are standing in the gap for your children, but your, your uncommitted life, your, your, your failure to walk out that life and that example before your children is jeopardizing. You know, what the, you know what the devil does? He says, Oh, it won't matter. It doesn't make any difference. This is a tournament. They need to play in this tournament, they need to have this experience. Well, this is, these, are, these are popular kids. It's good for them to know these kids. They're going to go somewhere. There'll be somebody in the hallways of the school. There's nothing wrong with that. They need a good education. You want to give them the best education. No, you don't. Who said that's the definition of a good parent? The Bible doesn't say that. You can give them the best education in the world. You can send them to Harvard. If they're not grounded in their faith in Jesus Christ, they have nothing. They have nothing. You've not prepared them at all for eternity, nor for even this life. This is it. Our Heavenly Father, with heads bowed and with eyes closed, dear Lord, I plead. I plead for men and women in this room to make a commitment today to be men and women of integrity, to understand that they have an enemy like Job had an enemy. It didn't matter that he was righteous, that he was blameless, that he feared God and he shunned evil. That just made him a bigger target. Because if Job fell, his fall would be so great. So Father, I pray for the men and women in this room, the young people in this room. I pray that they'll hang on to their integrity, that they'll do what is right and honorable. I pray, dear Lord, that if there's men here that are looking at things they should not be looking at, that, dear Lord, You'll convict their hearts and their souls, and, dear Lord, bring them under such repentance. That they will do whatever they have to do to get that right. I pray if there's men here that are involved in other relationships, or they're flirtatious and they're sending the wrong message, I pray, dear Lord, that You'll break their heart and bring them to repentance. I pray, dear Lord, for women here today, That, dear Lord, they would examine those relationships and any relationship that in any way would compromise their integrity and their testimony, that today they would say, no more, not this, not this way. That they would look and realize that the cheap looks of men mean nothing. It means nothing. That they may value their husband so much that they send a message to him, I'm a one-man woman. You can risk loving me. I won't let you down. Father, I pray for young people today that, are, that are, may compromise their sexuality. Dear Lord, they may climb into the back seat. They may go and do something that, dear Lord, will taint them and scar them forever. I plead, dear Lord, that You would bind the enemy from our young people. I pray, dear Lord, for parents with boldness and intestinal fortitude that says, if you live in my house... You've abide by my rules. Father, you know last Sunday I nearly threw somebody out of my home because they were not in church. I thought to myself, my kids don't go to church, they don't eat. Father, may you give us a boldness. May we stand in the gap for those people who, dear Lord, the enemy is after. And God, may you do something that only you can do. Father, we pray this, and I pray, dear Lord, if there's one here, one decision, one commitment, one person who needs to come to this altar, whatever that decision is, that nothing would stop them. And we pray this in the name of Jesus.